0: All right. So I'm here with Darius Bucholt. Darius has been to the games in the 50 to 54 division for the last two years 2021 and 2022. In 2021, he was 51. So he was in the 50 to 54 division. He qualified for the games in 19th and finished the games in 6th. And then after that Games, that fall, we started working together. And in 2022, he was a year older in his division. He was 52. He was third in the quarterfinals, fifth in the semifinals, and went to the Games. And we had, unfortunately, tore his bicep tendon doing a a supinated pull-up with loads of weight on him. Um, So he's recovering now, and we're going to talk about what it took to improve on his qualifying placement uh, going from 2021 to 22, and what his training priorities were, uh, what a day in the life was like, and just how consistent he was over that year. So yeah, uh, Darius, can you start by telling us what a day in the life was like for you as you got ready for the games?
1: Yeah, sure. I would say the day in the life probably changed quite a bit from, say, I don't know, off season, October, November kind of time frame. So kind of after decompressing after the twenty one games, kind of deciding what to do, um, kind of ramping back into training, you know, a day in the life then probably looked quite a bit different than you know a, a few weeks. Out from the games, but typically, you know, I I work full time at a desk job. So, and, and I I do a fair bit of work with Asia, who's you know their day starts in my late afternoon evening. So, I I don't have a lot of flexibility during the week in the in the evenings or during the day. So, typically, I'm uh, get up early and get all my working out done in the morning. So. Whatever is prescribed for the day, I, I'll get up and try to get that done first thing in the morning. And and of course, maybe, and maybe we'll talk about this, but as we got closer to, to the games, I was able to to do you know two a days a little bit. Um, but typically, get the get the workout done in the morning, eat a big breakfast, and then go do my desk job for you know the next. 10, 12 hours, and and then, uh, you know, eat dinner, spend a little time with the family, and and usually just kind of relax in the evenings. I've got a son still in high school, so I chase him around a little bit. He plays soccer and does other activities. So um, at a high level, that's, that's kind of my typical day. Weekends will look a little different. I've got a little more flexibility, especially on Saturdays. And then some days, you know, again, a little more flexibility on on what my schedule is. But, but yeah, generally, I'm a workout, you know, one workout a day in the morning kind of guy.
0: So what time were you getting up usually? It's pretty early, right?
1: Yeah, it would vary. I mean, I'd say maybe average six o'clock. D- depends a little on what you're, you're what you were prescribing for me. I would usually the night before I would go down, uh, b- by the way, I work out at home. Uh, so I have a home gym in my basement. I've accumulated most of the equipment I need over the years. It's a little limited height wise because the ceilings are, are nine feet. Um, so I have to modify a few things, but, or go outside or go to the garage if I need to do wall balls or rope climbs, that kind of stuff. But, um, but yeah, I would usually go down there the night before look at what the workout was going to be in the morning, kind of do the rough math on the time that it would take depending on when my first meeting of the day is. I would just kind of back up from there and say, okay, I gotta, I need to get up and get going at whatever time. So it could be anywhere from, if it's a long one, you know, maybe I need to get up at five. Um, but I'd say on average I could I could get up at get up at six and get stuff done. I usually try to make it so my first meeting work meetings for the day didn't start till you know 9 30, 10. And um, so I kind of offset my day because I typically would have meetings with Japan or Singapore, China, something like that, starting at five, six o'clock. So I commonly work till, you know, seven, sometimes later at night, so.
0: So long day. Would you have anything before you started training fuel-wise?
1: Typically, I would mix up basically a bunch of carbs uh, with a little bit of protein. So my go-to morning drink mix was some Gatorade with um just some like maltodextrin powder and then I'd throw in maybe 10 to 15 grams of whey protein and you know mix that up and kind of sip on that throughout the throughout the morning program. So you know I'd drink a little bit of it before but it was kind of a drink that over the the course of couple hours. So, yeah, I would, during training, that's the one thing, you know, nutritionally, it seemed like I could eat as much as I wanted. And, you know, I always try to make sure I get enough protein, but um, I would eat quite a few carbs during the process. But, and I, I use pretty general terms here because I was not, counting macros or anything. I kind of went, went by feel and just made sure it's usually pretty easy to get carbs. Um, so I didn't have to try very hard for that. It's usually the protein. I have to make a conscious effort at every meal to make sure I'm getting enough, but you know, my weight from start to end during all the training pretty much stayed the same. So and I would notice my as the intensity ramped up, you know, probably from between quarterfinals and, and the games, um, I noticed that I got a bit leaner, even even with eating all those carbs and sugars and stuff. If I did that now, the 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 volume of training that I'm doing now is substantially lower, so I'd probably I need to. I just try to cut back on the sugars and carbs a little bit.
0: Yeah, for sure. What would you say is the rough idea of what you were eating on a training day in carbs?
1: Uh, probably just a guess, but maybe... Um, I don't know, 300, 400 grams, maybe? Does that sound in the realm of reality?
0: Yeah, three to 400, yeah.
1: Yeah, I think something, something like that, probably.
0: And your body weight was around what throughout that time?
1: Yeah, between, I would fluctuate not a lot. Usually I'm between 175, and I never, I never, peaked out at 180, even like in the evenings when I was my heaviest, I was probably, you know, 178 around in there. So I I tend to just even now, I mean, I've dropped a little bit of weight, but I'm still low to mid 170s.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And we talked about this earlier, but one of the first things I noticed when we started working together was how strong you were both relative to body weight and in a raw sense relative to the field. And so when we were putting together your training priorities, it yeah, it was quickly apparent through our assessment that we didn't need a whole lot of long time under tension or um even we didn't need a lot of high tension contractions in general, but that we needed to do a lot of low tension, high turnover, ventilating, um, high work rate, uh, training. And so, um, doing that first thing in the morning with just a little bit of sugar shake with some protein in your system seem seemed to work really well for you. Um, and yeah, I just wouldn't, I'll, I i would make that distinction because for, for someone else, maybe like someone who strength is a higher priority for them or tough contractions are a higher priority. They might find that having a meal or two in them and training later in the day might work better. Of course, you got to do whatever you have to do with the rest of your lifestyle, uh, work and social life and things like that. But, um. Yeah, it seemed to work really well for you. And you had carbs around your training, which was when you needed them. How long were your training sessions usually?
1: Uh, It would vary, I think, depending. I think the big the big variable was, you know, were we doing any kind of long zone two stuff? You know, we started doing that. uh, I can't remember when that if we started doing that right away, like in October, November, or if if we increase that more as we went, but, you know, adding sometimes almost an hour of zone two extended the the sessions quite a bit. But I, I think the main, if you kind of set that aside, the main working sessions seemed like they were maybe, maybe 90 minutes ish. And then if we tacked on, you know, 30 to 60 minutes of, of cardio of some sort, you know, so that they could extend. I think some of the highest volume sessions were, you know, maybe stretched out to close to three hours. But I would also say I'm probably not, I wouldn't say I'm terribly inefficient. I'm but I would also say I'm not probably the most efficient um in the gym all the time, especially in the morning, you know, kind of get at 52 you know, jumping out of bed, and getting right after it—it's uh, not quite like it was when I was in my twenties or, or thirties. So, I usually—I tend to take probably a good thirty minutes of routine just to kind of get moving and do some warm-up stuff. So I would typically foam roll and do some mobility stuff just to kind of wake up and get get the system primed a little bit.
0: Yeah, rev the engine a few times. Huh? <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about your athletic background or tell our audience a little bit about that? Your soccer days and-
1: sure. Yeah. I, you know, my main sport from when I was, you know, a, a little kid was was soccer. So mm-hmm. I grew up grew up playing soccer. As I got older, I picked up some other sports. In high school, I played. Played football, played basketball, uh, but soccer was kind of the continuous thing throughout. So always, you know, I'm I'm like five nine, so was always kind of a quick, quick twitch sort of athlete. Generally pretty fast. I was always the fastest or one of the fastest kids on the on the team. Um, but not very enduring. <laughs> never, never spent any time, uh, even during soccer. Was not very disciplined with with building much of a an aerobic base. So, going on long runs, long slow runs, that kind of stuff, that was never a thing for me. And even, you know, back in the day, I'm not sure it was quite as common to include that. The benefits of that, I thought maybe weren't as widely known back then as they are now. So always kind of a quick twitch sprint interval kind of, kind of athlete. Yeah. So I played, yeah, I played soccer through uh club through college and then even continued playing kind of rec, you know, recreational adult kind of level after that.
0: Yeah. And then, when did you start doing CrossFit and how long had you been doing that before you qualified for the games?
1: Yeah, I guess the other thing, uh, in addition to soccer, I guess it started maybe in high school football, you know, lifting weights. Lifting weights wasn't, you know, when I was in high school, it was not as widespread um, as it is certainly today. But even in the in the few years that followed, I remember my I went to a fairly small high school. And the the weight room um, was almost non-existent. There was this little little room that was probably, I don't know, 12 by 12 with a few, with like a machine and a few free weights in it. And hardly anybody used it. But later in high school, weightlifting became a little more of a thing. So I started started lifting to try to put on weight for football and on and off kind of lifted Uh, throughout high school college kind of just uh, I enjoyed it hobby thing more of a you know I was in the you know I was in the the Arnold days when he was at the, the height of popularity in the in the 80s and stuff so typically just bodybuilding style kind of workouts so that's how my how lifting weights was for me kind of on and off even after college and as an adult, just continued to, to strength train. And that's probably why some of my strength numbers are good. I, I think from soccer legs were generally strong and squatting was, has always been my, you know, my strongest and I'm okay at some of the other lifts. You know, my overhead strength is, you know, probably average compared to my squatting strength. So, but just being consistent, doing that, working out. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think I didn't answer your question. What was your question?
0: Oh, when did you start doing CrossFit?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the, as I was playing, yeah, I was playing basketball, soccer, other things, even as an adult through, you know, through my thirties into my forties, but I was periodically getting injured. So I, like I tore my Achilles tendon in my late 20s playing basketball. I tore my ACL in my early 40s playing basketball. And I had some injuries in between there, pretty much all basketball related. So I, I finally got smart and gave up basketball. But it was kind of in that time period when I was introduced to CrossFit. And it was, you know, I enjoyed strength and conditioning and so it was kind of a just a different form, maybe a little more measurable form of strength and conditioning. So I would sort of dabble a little bit. I would say maybe maybe around when I was 40. So 12-ish years ago is probably when I was first sort of, I guess, discovered it. And I it was more dabbling. I didn't go to a, you know, to, to an actual affiliate or anything. So um So it was really just kind of fringe for at least a couple of years. And then after I I tore my ACL and decided I was going to take a break from field sports, you know, court sports, because I didn't want to have any major injuries. It seemed like the other strength and conditioning I was doing was in a little more of a controlled environment. And so I think it kind of ramped up from then. I think we had these the community affiliates were starting to pop up a little bit. And so I remember going, doing a couple of trial months at a couple local affiliates and just to kind of understand a little bit more what it was about. So I think that was, I was, you know, between 2010, 2012 kind of range is when I first started. And what I, as I kind of learned the movements and stuff, a little more, uh, the competitive side, you know, as I dropped playing soccer, basketball, those were kind of my competitive outlets. And so CrossFit kind of filled that void for me a little bit as a competitive outlet. So that's when I, I would say I didn't, I still wasn't competing seriously or anything, but I I can't remember when my, I think the, I think the first two or three opens that I did I didn't actually even sign up I just kind of you know did the workouts myself and looked at my scores and compared to you know what was going on on the on the leaderboard and I can't remember it was 2015 maybe was my first official open where I signed up and started thinking about being a little more competitive you know since there was a masters category at that point, so that's kind of how it started.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like you had been at it for uh, somewhere between nine and twelve years, depending on how you count the the first initial years before qualifying for the games for the first time. Yeah. Does that sound that,
1: right? Okay. Yeah, that's about right.
0: Yeah, and and then when was your first? decision to do organized com- competitor programming and then when did you transition from that to hiring a coach
1: yeah i early on i didn't i had no i had no thought of going to the games even when i, I don't even remember the first year that they had masters at the games but i wasn't really i wasn't super tuned in to that i was more i had a workout buddy that we would kind of do you know pseudo crossfit workouts together but it was just all about the social and and staying fit and um it wasn't probably till i don't know 16 17 18 where i still wasn't thinking about the games but it was i was okay, I'm going to actually sign up and do the workouts and enter my scores and and just kind of see where I'm at. Because I think it was at that point, we had the AGOQ. And so I think to be top, I think you had to be in the top 200, if I remember right. And so that was kind of a, oh, that'd be cool to be, you know, top 200, that'd be an accomplishment. So I did that uh, as kind of just you know, not a high priority goal. And, and at that point in time, I think, um I think comp train maybe was, they had some free program, you know, they released a lot of their stuff for free at that point in time. And so I would kind of, I would kind of pick and choose workouts from there. And I'd say at this point, I was still, you know, I might do two or three CrossFit workouts a week. And then the other days do other stuff that I like doing, just kind of, you know, powerlifting style workouts and, you know, just still working out with my buddy, stuff that was friendly for both of us to kind of do. We would just, a lot of times, just work out at the gym that's at, that we have at work. So I think it was 2018 when um i think my best placing um in the open i think i cracked the top 100 at 70 something 78 or something like that so top 100 was cool but i mean i really didn't it felt like the game's level was like a completely different world away cuz i would look at like my scores in the top 100 you know the high you know 70s to 100 kind of range and I'd look at the ones actually qualifying for the games and it just seemed untouchable because they were so much faster than than me and, and everything so I never really gave it much thought of actually being able to qualify and that's kind of really where I was until um uh 2021 to be honest um a, a little bit of competitive motivation. There was a a guy early on um, locally, I can't remember if it was in 17 or one of the years they had it so you could like sort the leaderboard by state. And and so I, there was always this other guy that I noticed was in Idaho and we were really close on the leaderboard. And then if you sort down to Idaho, it was, he and I were like always battling it out each workout like he would beat me in one I'd beat him in one and you know one year I think I finished first in the state for our age group and you know he he beat me another year and so um, and and then I learned that he was a member of the affiliate that was like just down the road for me that I would pop into every once in a while and so I actually went down there one day just to see if I could find him And introduce myself and stuff and just say hey you know we see each other on the leaderboard we ought to you know work out together occasionally or whatever and so that kind of struck up a friendship um and he and I would would train together just periodically I was never really a full member of the affiliate um but but I would go down sometimes like during open gym on Sundays and and you know, throw down with him and a few other guys, got to know a few other guys there. So he and I throughout those years, probably from 18, 18, 19, 20. Um, and frankly, he would usually, um, if it wasn't a strength biased workout, he would usually beat me in most workouts. His engine was much better, much better at ventilating, um, probably better just overall well-rounded CrossFit athlete, and so I was always kind of striving to chase him a little bit. Um, he would always beat me in in uh, those longer workouts and ventilation kinds of workouts, and then I would always hope for something heavy because um, I was a little bit stronger than him. But but anyway, that that I think kind of got kept my motivation high, my competitive spirit high, and then going into 21 you know my i think in 21 his name's eric he he finished the open like in 23rd or something like that and i think i was maybe in the 50s 50 something and i felt like and that was my best open ever i felt like i had peaked you know I had maxed out <laughs> my potential and, and so uh, quarterfinals came around was a quarterfinal no it was still a still AGOQ I think in 21 anyway um, I was I was doing the workouts the AGOQ workouts with him to try to kind of push him because I thought hey top 20 he finished in 23rd he's got a real shot at making it Um, and so I'm going to go with him, train, do the workouts, kind of give him a score maybe to, to chase or, or whatever. And, um, and so anyway, long story short, I ended up squeaking in at 19th. Um, it was a complete shock. I mean, I had no concept of qualifying. I mean, that was just the farthest thing from my Mine, but I think the first couple of work th- workouts went better than expected, and then you know they gave me a gift in I can't remember it was workout which workout it was, but it was a the three rep max front squat. And I'd say if I could pick a lift where I would outsize you know you know my competitors would be probably a front squat. So anyway, I placed. I don't know. I think I was maybe third or third or fourth overall in the world in that workout, and that kind of put me into contention, and I was able to hang on at nineteenth. So, anyway, that was maybe more than more than you wanted, but kind of gives you a a history of my kind of where I went competitively.
0: Yeah, that's great. So then you went to the games and. Tell us a little bit about your games experience that year in
1: Yeah, yeah and, and I guess maybe just to rewind a little bit, because your, your question was around programming a bit. Uh, I, a lot of those years I was – the concept of paying for programming was still not in my mindset. So I was just doing whatever I could get for free, essentially. Um, and then I think for a short period of time in there, they they – they being comp Train came out with a paid master's focus program and i think i i did that for i don't know three or four months and it didn't i don't know it didn't feel like it didn't uh didn't feel like i was benefiting that much from it, it didn't feel that different to me than than the free stuff i was getting so i think i just went back to the whatever they were giving a given away for free um it wasn't until i started thinking a little more competitively minded probably maybe 1920 um i started periodically bouncing around and paying for some other programming all all just the kind of canned you know generic you know wh- whatever i could find for you know 30 to 30 to $40 a month. And I would typically only do it like leading, you know, maybe the two or three months leading up to the open and I would go back to, I was just too cheap, I think. And my goals, I didn't really have a, you know, I wasn't really trying to make it to the games. It was just, it was still recreational. So, um, so anyway, um, that's a little more on the programming side of things. And what was your, what was your, I dodged your question again. What was uh? where did you want me to go next?
0: Uh, yeah. My next question would be, what was the main impetus for you to hire a coach? And what was the main difference or what were some of the differences that you noticed?
1: Yeah. I think after qualifying, being a complete shock in 21 qualifying, I kind of looked back at the workouts and I was like, was it was it a fluke? Was it you know you get you get pitched exactly the workouts that are good for you and and I felt a little bit like that's how I qualified. Um, but I saw I thought you know the only way to find out is to try to go get a little more serious and get some programming. All the program I tried, I I did was with comp train for quite a while. Um, didn't misfit a little bit. Um, but all, and, and, it was, you know, they're all, they're all good, quote unquote good. I mean, they all know what they're doing, you know, from a general sense, but I felt like I had these glaring weaknesses that I knew about and it would be obvious to any, anybody that, you know, took the time to look at my results or, um, get to know me a little bit. And, and so I felt like that was the biggest glaring gap with any canned, you know, off-the-shelf programming is you know, really training your weaknesses. And so I even dabbled a little bit with, okay a little bit of canned programming then I would program in my own, you know, try to emphasize my weaknesses and so coming off the 21 games, I thought, well, what if I, it'd be great if I could find something that was a little more customized. And so I just started looking around and, and one-on-one coaching, you know, at, you know, two, 200 at the low end on up to, I mean, you can probably spend as much as you want um, per month for actual one-on-one coaching, I still mentally couldn't make that leap, um, and so I looked and looked and looked, and the only thing I could find that was kind of a an in between was was the competitor program at um, with you guys uh, with Gaines Lab, and I don't even remember. Um, actually, I do remember. So go. So I guess one the important thing I left out is not long before the uh, the 21 games one of my uh, one of my obvious weaknesses was just I guess what most people call my your engine my ability to stay sustain a decent pace even on any even like mono work. Uh, Was poor, so I started looking around for engine development programs. I dabbled here and there, and but one of them I found that seemed, um, and I saw a couple of podcasts uh, with Matt on there, Um, and so I signed up and bought his um, uh, engine program, uh, and I just forgot what's the name of it. Year of the
0: Engine.
1: Year of the Engine, yeah. Uh, And so I did that. Going, you know, through the games, and I felt like that actually helped help my rowing because most of it was was based on rowing, um, and so that's that's how I found the the competitive program, which is um, kind of a hybrid. It's it's I, I don't know if you call it semi-customized. There was an intake sheet where I would kind of enter in some of my basic information, and then you would program kind of based on that and based on, I don't, I think we, ex, I think we exchanged some emails. Did we, did we have one conversation or, or was it all just email based? I can't remember at that point.
0: Yeah, it was all email based until we we had exchanged some emails and the emails were so detailed that I was like, we just need to get on a call. and. Yeah. We got on a call and i was like you know i i think it would really help you i think you're just at the level where as high a resolution as you can get in your program design would be worthwhile and um because your your feedback was you were so aware of what was going on in your training and it was like i I just can't like factor this all in for you know what you're paying me so (laughs) so we need to like you know Go up to the to one on one coaching, which we
1: you know, after a couple months. Yeah, so so yeah, I started started the competitive program. I don't know in October I, is what's in my head. I don't remember the exact date, but we, so we did that and it was good. I mean, it was it was different. It was very different than what I was used to because comp train was very you know there'd be a lift, some sort of strength movement, and then a Metcon and and that was kind of the structure. That's pretty much what you got. And, um, and like I said, I mean, if you're not competing and you just want to do, you know, it it was fine. It just was not for someone that's really trying to optimize um, whether it's for competition or optimize, just because you want to, you know, optimize your capabilities. I I needed something more. And so the competitor program, I think took a a sizable step in that direction. Um, As you mentioned before, you know, some things like squatting and stuff, I just didn't need to do very often to stay, you know, to maintain the strength. And there was plenty of other things that I did need to do a lot more of. And so, um, So that was good. And as as you mentioned, um, I asked a lot of questions and had a lot of feedback. And so, you know, after thinking, you know, you said you really ought to consider the one-on-one coaching. And so I think, I don't know when those first conversations were, um, because I didn't switch over right away, I think. I think I continued with the competitor program for a while. And it wasn't until I think after the first of the year that I decided, okay, we got the open coming up. Let's make a full run at this and just see what's possible. And, um, and so I think late January we switched over and, um, and yeah, it was, I think, uh, you know, my attitude is the results seem, you know, speak for themselves. I able to go into the the 22 qualification season. I don't remember where I finished the Open, but it was definitely the highest I had ever f- finished an Open. And then the, you know, coming out of the quarterfinals and I don't even remember. I think you said third. I'm, I don't remember where I was. Yeah, but... you were
0: third in the quarters, fifth in the semis.
1: Yeah, I remember the semi. I remember the semis because um, I remember going into the last workout. I was in first. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it was a weird, which was a surreal feeling. Um, and then, of course, the the final workout was like the the perfect. If you were going to pick one workout to Crush my spirit. It would be wall ball, a whole bunch of wall balls.
0: It's only wall balls, yeah. Yeah. With with a double penalty because an immediate subsequent event. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I had I I remember just getting crushed in that workout, and then you go immediately right into a max clean and jerk, and so I was normally the clean and jerk would have been. Yeah. Okay, like like I'm not going to win a clean and jerk because my my clean is decent but my jerk is poor and so it's limiting. But I I way underperform even for me on that one and so it took me from first down to fifth which I mean is fine um, even fifth is is crazy because I really when they cut the few, so in 21 it, they took 20 the top 20 they announced in 20 Two seasons they were cutting the field to 10 so they were only taking top 10 and so i i kind of going into that season was thinking oh you know i was 19th last time if i can get a little fitter i know it's always harder you're you're older but maybe maybe i can improve enough to still squeak into that top 20 again so they cut it to 10 and i was like my my attitude was kind of like i tend to be a little bit of a realist i a lot of times, but you know, sometimes to my detriment, but I really didn't think there was any way being a year older that I was going to be able to improve enough to kind of overcome the one year older aspect and get into the top 10. So, but, um, I did. So, you know, it was, you know, and the workouts are always a factor. Um, who's there is a factor. There's several guys that, that did really well in 21 that decided not to compete in 22. So all those little things help, but um, improvement in fitness is not, you know, there's no question about that.
0: Yeah, for sure. I want to zero in on the differences between what you had been doing on your, your track program, which was, a lift every day, going into a metcon with, you know, not necessarily uh you know, maybe there's a heavy barbell in it. Like, what is the dose? Uh, we're not really sure. So you could be doing even more strength endurance, like tough contractions in the metcon. Um, and for a guy like you, who's who is fast twitch and has a fast twitch, faster twitch background, soccer's. Pretty aerobic but but you know you're a fast twitch guy sprinter so doing starting every session with tough contractions and then possibly having even more tough contractions in the metcon i would just think that that would wear you out really quickly and leave a lot of gains on the table in what you needed to work on the most and and so when you came to us we looked at your we looked at your games results. We looked at, we looked at all the results from all your past qualifiers. And there was a, um, you performed really well on tough contractions. You performed really well on any sort of muscle endurance challenge. And it was as events got longer and as they got lower tension, higher turnover, and just more dependent on sustaining a high work rate, high breath rate for, you know, longer periods of time that, we're like oh well there's st- there's still some fruit here to pick so so yeah we did i have your program up you know starting from 12 weeks out from the quarterfinal which is when we started and we we touched on the olympic lifts each olympic lift once a week um there was some like any sort of tough contraction was like just a quick little CNS touch uh, just as as minimal as possible to keep you from getting really worn out, um, but to keep your central nervous system, uh, like retain the, the ability to do that. And that was really only once or maybe twice a week. And the Olympic lifts were initially really focused on refining and just practicing them. Um, so not a huge cns dose there um and then yeah a lot of high turnover high ventilation uh mixed and cyclical work so things that were uh like i'm reading this one 10 rounds for time two devil's press two dumbbell thrusters four lateral burpees over dumbbell so you're constantly changing patterns and changing implements and very small set sizes so that your muscle endurance doesn't become the lim- limiter and your breath rate doesn't come down. You don't have an opportunity for it to come down. You have to keep it really high and keep transitioning and keep uh, sustaining your your work rate as high as you can. Um, another 10 rounds for time. So yeah, so I think people kind of get the idea. And yeah.
1: Yeah, and I, as I recall, I had never, never done that sort of a workout was never programmed you know as part of the the track programs um and so but i think it was my my MO during workouts would be you know go hard a few reps and then have to you know put the implement down or stop to like catch my breath and then, so it was almost like I would turn any workout into kind of a mini interval workout because I would have to stop. And, and those workouts, it got to the, you know, it was very clear. It's like, okay, every one of these sets is small enough. There's no way I should be putting this dumbbell down, you know. So everything needs to be unbroken. And so it it helped kind of build that mentality as well of, You know, transition is when you get a little bit of a breather, but you move right from one thing to the next and you just keep moving. And I think that helped tremendously when it came to harder workouts, um, where the sets were maybe a little bit bigger, being able to hang on and um, continue to breathe. So I think those that's, you know, when I look at the the biggest differences from the, you know, your off the shelf program to the customized one, as you mentioned, you know, of course, they're always going to have their squat cycles and all these things that I don't, didn't necessarily need. And so the customized program and being able to kind of set that aside and spend that time prioritizing something else. I think was really beneficial, and then for me, the the ventilating, kind of keeping moving, uh, continuously for you know longer periods of time. Uh, I think those those are the two things that probably stand out the most as has probably made made a big difference for me.
0: Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, that's it's good. One one thing I want to um just highlight that I noticed it during your, your whole prep was how consistent you were and how you would communicate when you were going to be in a hotel gym for a couple of days. And you would research what hotel you were going to stay in and try to find a picture of their hotel gym. And so that you could send me the picture or tell me exactly what was in there. And, you know, we did a lot of, uh, shovel runs and treadmill runs and um you know double unders and it actually kind of worked pretty well for the sort of stuff that you needed anyway but um but yeah so that's just something I want to highlight uh, you know how long your days were and how you were getting all of your all of your training in in the mornings anyway planning ahead so that you could do that and then when you were traveling it wasn't like oh I just won't train you know I'm traveling I get a free pass it was like you know, I need to find a way to stay consistent while while I'm traveling and uh yeah I just remember being really uh, I just remember noticing that like wow yeah it's just really consistent and um and yeah yeah so um, yeah I have a uh,
1: I'm I, I think especially the goal in mind, you know, there's only, there's X number of training sessions available. And, in usually my attitude is if you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards. So, you know, I don't really give myself an option and, and plus I just feel better doing something. So, yeah, even if I wasn't training for the games, I'd be, I, I don't necessarily pick my hotel based on what kind of workout facility, but I, I mean, there have been times where traveling and, you know, there's a couple, two or three options of hotels that seem to be relatively equivalent. A lot of times the tiebreaker is what's, what's their workout gym look like. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So you, you did the quarterfinals, you got third entering the semifinals it was like wow okay we really kind of blew our expectations out of the water and of course with only 10 qualifying spots we had to take the semifinals really seriously and you came in and there were six workouts yeah there was yeah six workouts and you were first going into the final two there was uh, a wall ball only test immediately and do a really time constrained max clean and jerk <laughs> which of course you we were plenty warmed up for because you had done over 100 wall balls but it was it was uh, yeah that was the ch- test that they chose and um, so still qualified in fifth and it was a great result and we were going to the games with really high expectations and I want to talk a little bit about your games prep specifically and how, okay, we knew how about how many events there were going to be and based on the precedent historically, and we needed to increase the volume slightly and talk a little bit about how you built that extra volume into your lifestyle preparing for the games.
1: Yeah, I don't don't remember the number of weeks, but it was like, okay, once you Qualified. It's like okay, there's a what was it two months or something like that from the qualification, the end of the semifinals to when the games started. I mean it was somewhere in that two month range. I I think if I recall correctly, and so you have a very limited amount of time, um, and you know the number of sessions is limited, you suddenly have these other modes that frankly, you know, hindsight 2020, you know, we would have worked in more running and swimming. If I had, I had I really been confident that I was going to qualify for the games, right. um, you know, we would have had that conversation to say, okay, I gotta, I gotta do more, even though it's probably not going to help me in the quarterfinals and semifinals, it's going to come up with the games. They're, you know, swimming is definitely a big weakness. Running is not a strength. And so I would have been working on that more. Um, and so that's where it, it, the mindset is, you know, had I had the mindset of, okay, I'm going to qualify. I would have done things a little bit differently, but we we're really focused on, on those, you know, those online style events. And, and so, qualification happens it's like okay take a breath you know think about the prep work we've done so far where we're feeling confident you know which is most things that would come up in an online thing maybe other than wall balls i was feeling pretty confident um uh but every year there's running and there's swimming and so i think uh the other thing is you know i talked earlier about my window of time to work out is usually just in the morning and in general that's true but you kind of when you have this big event coming up and it's a limited amount of time okay I've got two months I started squeezing in you know second sessions for the day Um, certainly like Saturdays and Sundays were relatively easy to do that and then I don't I don't remember exactly how it went down and it probably varied depending on what was actually going on at work, but I think at least once or twice during the week, I would also, you know, have a, I do my AM session where I probably do most of my work. And, but then we do a, whether it was some zone two work or, you know, I would go to the pool and swim or, or go run or, you know, whatever the case may be, I would, I would do a second session, um, to kind of round out the training. I think to fit in, I think one is just to to fit in some more training, get some more miles and minutes doing things I hadn't done a lot of in the year preceding, um, but also getting, I think helping to get the body ready to um, having two sessions in a day and having to turn around the next day and do, and do it all over again um, is different than even doing a long session in the morning and having the next 20 to 22 hours to kind of recover since, you know, my sitting at a desk all day is not, you know, not physically strenuous. So anyway, yeah, that's, that's what we did. And I, again, I can't remember exactly, exactly the pattern, but it seemed to me that at least no, no, two to four times. Two to two to four of the six days we were fitting in two sessions.
0: Yeah, yeah. A couple of things I I remember from that time was we wanted to do two sessions. Um, because I mean the obvious reason is the volume is higher at the games than it was in the previous stages, and there is a lot there's a lot of skill around getting your system up and your cortisol up to to do a second session doing that twice in a day as opposed to just the rhythm of okay i wake up i have my shake i do this and then i rest all day um the games there's a lot of skill involved in those multiple bouts and how much time is between them varies a lot and how you fuel for those things, uh, varies a lot. And so we wanted to get some, some practice with, with those things and just the higher energy cost of the higher volume and how do you fuel for that? Cause calories had to go up in response to that. So, so yeah, there was a lot, uh, of, of skill practice built around the second session. And, The emphasis was not really we didn't jump right into simulating the games. I think that's important to to notice. We we just came in and we were like, okay, we need to build the skill around two sessions and fueling and everything that goes along with that. But let's keep that second session monostructural. And uh, we started out with it being really easy and we looked at past games events, and there was usually one swim-only event for the masters, one run-only event for the masters. So that's two out of your eight scores right there. That's that's twenty-five percent of the competition is running yeah. and swimming. And then there's usually another event with a run in it, with like a mile of running in it or so, twelve hundred meters of running. So we figured, okay, we need to be pretty good at running we need to know what your one mile race pace is. And we need to know what your four mile race pace is. Cause those were kind of distances that had come up. And then swimming was just skill practice. It was just like, try to make this more sustainable, you know? And we came in, we, we originally made a heart rate based (laughs) both running and swimming. We were like, let's do, you know, heart rate zone, keep the intensity down. And it was like, well, we can't really do those activities in zone two. so, So we need to, we need to basically not not worry so much about the heart rate and practice the pace of that that we're gonna use and rest as much as we need to to keep the intensity down while still practicing the pace because it wouldn't have made sense for you to do you know run twelve minute miles in preparation for the game because you're not gonna run twelve minute miles at the game so you're gonna grind it out for eight minute miles on a long run so. just made more sense to practice that eight minute per mile pace and then rest as long as you needed to, and then practice it again and then rest and practice. So, um, to keep you from just, so we, we didn't just come in and, and simulate the games or, you know, do four miles for time right away. It was really introducing the volume in a way that, uh, you could survive basically. (laughs) That was, that was the goal still challenging you, but it needed to be something that yeah, was was survivable. And that didn't bring you into the games like
1: super worn out. Yep. Yeah, I remember those track sessions were were challenging. But good. I mean I, I think I was I mean, given the time that we had to prepare, I mean I I felt like I the running workout that they had, you know, in this year wasn't, there wasn't a run only. In fact, there wasn't a run only or a swim only. (laughs) They, they -hmm. chose to do different things. Um, but I think I would have, I think I would have done okay. at, At both of those, the swim, you know, probably swimming is still survival for me. So that's, uh, maybe we'll talk about this, but you know, Forward-looking, that's definitely something I need to shore up if I'm if I want to compete again.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm. I I just I think there's a lot to making the activity more sustainable, the skill itself more sustainable, and then thinking of everything as a skill. So swimming at zone two is a skill uh running at zone two is a skill but it was like the timeline was such that that skill wouldn't have helped you that much uh to to prepare you for what you needed to do it was like close enough to the competition i think you said you had eight weeks something like that
1: something like that yeah it was it was pretty minimal
0: and i i think i don't think people think of paces in a monostructural movement as a skill they see it as they don't see it as a learning process they see it as purely physiological yeah well you know zone two is great but if you're running 12 minute miles at zone two then like we don't have time like we we, you just need to practice running eight minute miles and so um and we need to structure that in a way that isn't crushing you. And the same thing for your one mile pace. We did 400s and, you know, aimed at probably 130 or 400, something like that. And just practice that so that when you, when those distances showed up at the games, which I think there was a for a workout with 400 meter runs, rope climbs and some kind of squat pattern. Um,
1: yep. Yeah. It was, I think, maybe some shouldered overhead, dumbbell, dumbbell, shoulder overhead.
0: Yeah, that sounds right.
1: That sounds with right. With rope climbs. And I can't remember the, it was four, four, somewhere around 400. It might've been a little longer than that, but mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, so our approach was totally different based on our timeline than if you had a 12 a year old coming to you, who was like, I want to go to the CrossFit games when I'm 22. It's like, yeah, yeah, let's practice making running sustainable, you know, but it was like, it's not going to be sustainable eight weeks from now. So we just need to practice that pace and, you know, refine that so that you know what it feels like, you know, how fast you're running and, you know, what's sustainable for you at these distances that we, expect to show up, but might not, you know, how it is, you know, getting ready for the games. Yeah. So, so let's talk about the games a so, little. So we got to the games, um, and the first event shows up and it's a five minute C2 bike for calories, a weighted pull-up and a one rep max front squat. And you're, they weren't scored discreetly. They were one after the other, and i think you had 12 minutes or 11 minutes for all of it or... yeah,
1: 11 minutes because five three and three so it was five, five minutes three. on the bike and three minutes for each of the lifts Yep. Yeah.
0: and <laughs> we knew your front squat would be a great score we, we were sort of trying to figure out what the field would bike but we mainly base it off uh what you had done on the c2 in training and your weighted pull up, we knew was was going to be high, and we knew that. We also knew that the events increased in importance from C two to weighted pull up to front yeah. squat yeah. because of how it was scored. So it wasn't like the calories were doubled or anything like that. So it was it was a front squat competition with some other stuff around it, <laughs> yeah. and um, and yeah, we got in the warm up area, and yeah, we knew you were a really strong puller and. They said you could go pronated, you go supinated, or you could go mixed grip. And so we are like, they didn't put any constraints around the grip. So we were like, okay, well, we know that supinated, you can pull more and it's the games. So <laughs> let's, let's do that and pull more, even though we, had, you know, practice that or built any volume with it. And, uh, and you and one of your competitors also on that same event doing supinated, uh, he tore his bicep too. His, his wasn't quite as bad, right?
1: His was a partial tear. So he finished, um, cause he, I think he got a, he got a, you know, a couple successful lifts. He, he attempted a heavier one. And I think he partially tore it, came down. He knew he was hurt, but you know, went ahead and, and, um, and did his front squat, so we finished the the event. But and then, because I was, I didn't, because mine, mine. So I did. I don't remember. I think three. I think I did three pulls successfully. So my last successful one was 125, and it felt. I mean, it was challenging, but it went up fast enough that I was like, okay, I got a little more in the tank, I think, and I had 30 seconds on the clock. So I thought, okay, I think I've got one more. So I threw 10 pounds on the belt again. And, um, and yeah, I I, uh, went down to, you know, kind of dead hang, which they had emphasized, you know, needing to start from a dead hang. So I'd started dead hang and I didn't pull, you know, hardly at all. And Mm -hmm. felt a pop in my left arm. And of course, your eye is right there at your at yeah. your arm, you're doing pull-ups, and I, I looked and was like, pretty much knew right away what mm-hmm. would happen. So I came down, and you know, they took me. The head judge came over, and you know, he's like, "You're you," and he didn't know what had happened. And I was like, "No, I'm, I'm done. I just tore my bicep." And they took me in the back, and had a. There's an orthopedic on site that, um, Dr. Rocket, I thought that was his nickname at first, but that's his actual (laughs) actual name. Rocket, John Rocket. Um, I think he's out of the Boston area, but he's a pretty well-known, um, orthopedic surgeon. So he, he was there, they had an ultrasound machine. They did ultrasound and confirmed. Yeah. It's a complete tear. So they put me in a sling. And then while I was, While they were finishing me up, the other guy came in um, and uh, they ultrasounded him. And his was partial tear, but like, I think mostly torn, but it wasn't completely detached. So anyway, yeah, he and I have kept in touch with him a little bit. Um, He he lives in the he lives in Norway, but he's originally from the UK so he had surgery like three weeks after me. Um, and so he's kind of on the same, the same program I'm on as far as slow recovery. But, and and I have to say, this is kind of off topic a little bit, but, you know, I mentioned my buddy that I used to compete with, um, you know, for fun and who's best in Idaho and our age group and all that kind of stuff. Um, he and I have continued to train periodically together and, and, you know, going into the quarterfinals this year and I was third, I guess, and he wasn't very far behind. And, and in the semis, I was fifth, he finished sixth. So we both actually qualified for the games. And, uh, and so he went, we, you know, we didn't go together, but we, um, spent a lot of time together. We were in the same hotel and shared a rental car and stuff for a little while. And, um, anyway, he ended up finishing third overall. So he got on the podium for the games, which was, which was great. One of those bittersweet sort of things is I'm, you know, I'm, I'm cheering him on cause I want him to do well, but bummed that I'm not out there, you know, competing with him. Cause I think he and I are like, you know any given workout depending on how the workout's structured i think we were pretty pretty close through all of them in the quarters and semis so i think it would have been i would have been in the mix there you know compete with him for a podium spot for sure
0: yeah yeah for sure um yeah we we were looking at the events so and we were like oh yeah that's i mean the, the first event was you were You had front squatted like 325 and we were thinking like 345, 350, which was either the best or the second best front squat in the field. Your bike was competitive. Your weighted pull up was, uh, you know, three plates or close to it. And, and um, yeah, just looking at the other events, nothing came up. That was like, you know, there was no incredibly long swim or. Incredibly long run, or or anything that would have you know been a hang up and and yeah, so I, I mean I, we were super you know bummed for you because you had to get surgery and it's you're still recovering um, from your surgery and it's it all it also happened to Sam Dancer I know. Um, And then there was another, obviously the guy, the other athlete in your field. Uh, So 10 guys and two guys toward their bicep doing a supinated way to pull up for the sake of, you know, unknown and unknowable. And there's no reason that somebody like you, who's investing all the time and in preparing um, who has a coach and you're, you're investing in this experience and then something shows up that um, you know, if physiologically just weren't prepared for, like if we had done, you know, six, five, four, three, two supinated pull-up the six weeks leading up to the games, then it's, it's maybe a different story, but, um, just get that connective tissue prepared a little bit, but, or if they, if they provide neutral grip handles or say it has to be pronated or, you know, whatever. Um, uh-huh hindsight is 2020. 20. We we could have said, you know, just stick with pronated, um, and maybe take like a little bit of a lower score and minimize the risk, but yeah, we just weren't perceiving any risk inside of it, uh, which is and maybe the you, you know programmers weren't either. And but yeah, then there was also a guy who tore his tricep on the dip bar workout because the that like almost fully extended, shortened tricep but still kind of dynamic shuffling along the parallel bars was not something that you guys had practiced. And, and so, yeah, anyways, I mean, I I hope they learn, I hope there's learning that happens. I hope they learn from it and, you know, continue to, you know, refine what the sport is. We're still figuring out. You had done hundreds of pulling reps pronated leading into the games and, Mainly like no weighted pull-up or anything like that. You, you already have a strong weighted pull-up and it hadn't been in the game since 2012 or something like that. So um so it's like, okay, I well, I guess that's not part of the sport anymore, and now it is, and, and so um just like the bench press, you know. <laughs> um but yeah, so you're recovering now and uh it sounds like things are going well.
1: Yeah, I'm um uh... I guess this Thursday I'll be twelve weeks post surgery, and just in this last week, my physical therapist kind of gave me a little more freedom to start doing mo. I'd say most movements I'm allowed to do now um, only really light weight. So I, you know, did my first curls. <laughs> um, this week, you know, with the really light weight, um, did a bench press for the first time, um, some light pulling, you know, so I'm, it feels good to actually start moving it in a way that I'm accustomed to, even though the weights are, are really light. So now I think over the next, well, the next several months, it's really going to be a matter of just kind of slowly increasing that, um, my, Mental model is to basically stick with what I'd call kind of old school bodybuilding sort of workouts, just you know, working the whole body, starting to incorporate the left arm more, and we'll continue to do that until it catches up a little bit strength wise, get get some of the strength and size back. It really Atrophied and is uh, quite weak. Um, They consider me healed, like no longer in danger of injuring it, kind of doing normal stuff at 16 weeks. So I expect, I don't know, early to mid-December, I'll be kind of released to go do whatever I feel like doing. And so I don't think that'll change what I'm doing all that much. I'll continue to do basic strength stuff until I feel like I've closed most of the strength gap. And I don't know what that means. If I'm back to 80, 80 to 90%, maybe somewhere in that range, I'll start, maybe start doing some dynamic stuff a little bit. Start doing some light Olympic lifting and, you know, in the meantime doing some lighter gymnastic stuff and, I don't know at what point I'll be ready for you know butterfly butterfly pull ups again, but somewhere along the way that'll that'll come back. But my tentative plan is is I'll sit the season out. Um, you know I'm not going to worry about doing even just doing the open for fun or anything. Um, more than likely we'll sit sit that out and keep kind of working. Um, I do I want to. Actually learn how to swim and probably put, put a few, put a few more miles, be more consistent with running, maybe just running at least once, but try to run twice a week, kind of as more of a normal matter, of course. Mm-hmm. Um but the swimming is probably the big one. <clears throat> and um and maybe some wall balls in there too. <laughs> <laughs> but so you know my thought is 23 season i'll just kind of sit out work on getting recovered i i talked to a couple guys in fact um you probably you probably know ron ortiz Mm -hmm. i talked to him a bit at the games and he he was kind of funny because i was sitting there in my slang and he's you know asking me what happened and he's like, he shows me his left arm. He's like, Oh yeah, he's got a scar there. he's like, I did this. And in... I can't remember what year he said it was, he did that. And then he he said, but I, you know, you'll be fine. I came back and won the games, you know, I can't remember. I don't think it was the next year, but maybe the year after that. And then, and then he, he shows me his other arm, same scar, uh, did this one in whatever year came back won the games and, you know, a couple of years later. So anyway, um, talked to a couple guys. It sounds like, you know, the strength is mostly back to 100% or close to it at a, about a year. It takes about a year to really, people are feeling like they're fully back. So the 24 season I'll probably, at least my mental you know, mindset right now is all. I'll participate and just kind of see where I'm at. Yeah. I'll be oldest, I'll be 54. So I'll be the oldest in my age group. So I'm, my thinking right now is I'm not going to make a big push to qualify that year, but to kind of just see, see where I'm at. And then if I'm thinking I still want to try to get back to the games, it'd be that, that following season where I'll be the youngest in the 55, uh, age group where I would maybe make another push to get, to get back there. And, you know, that gives me, gives me a couple of years to, you know, it, decide whether I'm serious or not and learn how to swim and, and <laughs> like that. Yeah. But, but that's still a ways off. So who knows?
0: Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. And yeah. uh, You know, after qualifying multiple times, it's like, okay. Especially knowing that you're going to age up and be the youngest in your age group. It's like, okay, we can probably have a little bit more games prep earlier on in the season. And uh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, Without it, you know, affecting your squatting or, yeah, and things like that too much, because um, you retain that really well. But yeah, I and mean, thanks for sharing that. And uh, you know, we wish you the best as far as your recovery. And um, you know, thanks for sharing what it took to make it to the games twice as a masters athlete.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was fun. Good, good discussion. Hopefully, hopefully somebody that sees this gets something out of it. And and I guess if you. If you get any questions from folks that you sent out to, you think that I can answer, just let me know. I'm happy to answer any questions. Sweet. Yeah, thanks for listening, guys.